gentlemen, progress. welcome. That always throws me off. I cannot not be thrown off by that. Yeah, anyway. I don't understand why he put as first choice to leave the meeting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure what, what they're, I guess, privacy. I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. Anywho, um, this is Daily Power Parsha. Our objective is to study the daily section. Today, as I mentioned at the end of yesterday's session, it is absolutely action-packed. So what did we do? Let me just see. What did we do yesterday? Yesterday, we focused on the... Hold on. Yes. Why am I not getting the right page? Yesterday, we focused on the attempted pass through the nation of Edom or the kingdom of Edom or Edom, maybe, if in English. I'm just going to go to the Hebrew, which is Edom. Edom was from the family of Esau, of Esau. And the Jewish people said, Let's, we want to go through your land. We're not going to harm you. We're not going to take your food. Well, on the contrary, we're going to pump money into your economy. Let us just pass through in peace on our way to the, to the promised land. And Edom said, no. The Jews said, please. They said, no, again. They came out with swords and with arms. And the Jewish people went around. Okay, this brings us to reading number five. I'm going to share my screen with you. I just felt like, I don't know, get a bit of a running jump into today's reading. So let's jump in. Numbers chapter 20, verse 22. This is really important stuff today. So they traveled from Kadesh. That Kadesh was Kadesh Barnea. That is where I showed it. Um, Donna asked a good question yesterday about kind of like just a bit of the geography, a bit of the map, what's going on with that, with, with where they are. So essentially Mount Sinai is like the southernmost point of kind of like the Sinai Desert. Then you go up. And and you get to um, you get to the southern border of the land of Israel, and there, well, or beneath the southern border, which was where Kadesh Barnea is, and they were. That's where the spies went in to check out the land. That's where they got derailed for 39, 40 years or so, and now they're making a jump into the Holy Land, not directly through Edom, but a little bit of a circuitous route. They're going right, they're going on the west, and approaching from the west. All right, so they travel from Kadesh, and the entire congregation of the children of Israel arrived at Mount Har. Mount Har. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Har on the border of the land of Edom, saying, this is what God said to Moses and Aaron. Listen to this. Aaron shall be gathered to his people. That is a phrase that refers to passing away. Gather to his people means brought back to the place where all people ultimately go back to, so to speak. Right? Gather to his people means he's going to pass away. For he shall not come to the land which I have given to the children of Israel because you defied my word at the waters of dispute at the May Meribah. This is, of course, referring to what we read about a few days ago. Right? When, when, when God's word was defied at Meribah, the waters of dispute, that's when they hit the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, Aaron was also participating in that. Although it was Moses who hit the rock, Aaron was next to him, and it seems like he was also part of that um, action that ultimately got them both nixed from entering the land of Israel. So... Being that Aaron is going to pass away and not, go, and not go into Israel, so God tells Moses, take Aaron and Eleazar his son, 
and ascend Mount Hor. Strip Aaron of his garments. This refers to the priestly garments, sorry, the high priestly, the garments of the high priest, the Kohen Gadol, and dress Elazar, his son, with them. So what this means is Elazar, okay, just to rewind a little bit. I, I know you all know this. I just want to be clear. Aaron initially had four sons, Nadav and Avihu, Elazar and Itamar. The first two passed away on the day the Mishkan was inaugurated, leaving him with two sons, Elazar and Itamar. So now God tells Moses, take Aaron to the mountain, on top of the mountain, take his son with him, his son Elazar, and take, remove the high priestly garments from Aaron and place them onto his son. This is the ultimate, if you will, passing the baton, transferring the leadership, it's the ultimate moment where one generation bequeaths to the next. So then Aaron shall be gathered into his people and die there. That's, that's the command of God to Moses. So verse 27, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. They, Moses, Aaron, and Aaron's son Elazar, they ascended Mount Har in the presence of the entire congregation. Okay, that's interesting. That means that all the people were there and watching this, this, uh, this moment where Aaron will bid farewell. Moses then stri stripped Aaron of his garments, again, the garments of the high priest, and dressed Elazar his son in them. And Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Elazar descended from the mountain. The whole congregation saw that Aaron had expired, passed away, and the entire house of Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days. So, this is, um, you know, it's, it's, I think there's some emotional weight to this narrative. You know, I, I kind of read it a little bit matter of fact, but it's, you know, if you picture that scene, Aaron was beloved to the people. M even more so than Moses on, on, on some level, because Aaron was the one who always sought to bring peace between people. Aaron was the peacemaker. He was the one that would always try to reconcile, you know, machloket, disputes, whether it was between, you know, um, husband and wife or parents and children or between neighbors or between community, whatever it was, whatever the conflict, he was always the peacemaker, which is why the Kohen is an ish chesed, the Kohen Gadol is a man of peace, the Kohanim are, are men of peace. It was all about peace. You can imagine the people with their beloved Aaron walking up the mountain knowing essentially that he's not coming down. This is it. Very emotional moment. And then you have these garments that are being, you know, transferred from one to the other, passing the baton. It's very emotional. I want to toggle Rashi here and see if we can pull in some, some um, uh, um, interesting commentary. Take a look at this. They travel from Kadesh. The Torah says the entire congregation of the children of Israel arrived at Mount Har. So Rashi says, what does it mean the entire congregation? That tells us something interesting. All were perfect, ready to enter the land. In other words, this generation, whoever was left, or this new current generation, they were ready. There was not among them even one of those upon whom the decree had been pronounced. For all those destined to die in the desert had already perished. And these were of those about whom is written, you are all alive this day. Okay, Mount Har, 
So in the Hebrew, it's called Har Hahar, which means the mountain of the mountain. Because Har in Hebrew means mountain. So it's Mount Har, Mount Mountain. So we are named for a mountain, right? So I climb Mount Everest, and then I'm going to climb Mount Mountain. Mount Mountain? What's that? Har Hahar. So what is that? Rashi says, a mountain atop a mountain, appearing like a small apple atop of a big, of, of big apple. A small apple atop of a big apple. So essentially, New Jersey on top of New York. I'm joking. I don't know if New Jersey is a small apple, but New York is definitely the big apple. But anyway, it's like some sort of smaller mountain on top of a larger mountain. Although the cloud, listen to this, although the cloud went in front of them and leveled out mountains, well, that's breaking news. That's interesting to know. The cloud of glory that went in front of them flattened the landscape before they would travel. But three mountains still remained. Mount Sinai for the giving of the Torah, Mount Nebo for the burial of Moses, and Mount Har for the burial of Aaron. Okay, let's continue. Take Aaron. Look at Rashi. With words of solace. Say to him, God tells Moses, tell Aaron, you are fortunate that you can see your crown given over to your son, something I do not merit. Right? Moses should tell Aaron, you see your son kind of filling your space, taking over your position. That is something, Moses says, I do not merit because Moses' son did not become the next Jewish leader. It was Joshua, who was not a relative, it was Joshua who became the next Jewish leader. So Moses tells Aaron, you're lucky. Ashrecha, you're lucky. You're fortunate that you are able to hand it over to your son. Um, take a look at this powerful Rashi. He dressed him in the garments of the Kahuna Gadola. Moses put Aaron into the garments of the high priest and then stripped him of them to give them to his son in his presence. So he got dressed up in the priestly gar high priestly garments and then took them off and handed them to his son. So Moses told Aaron, enter the cave. And he entered. There was a cave on top of the mountain. He saw a ready-made bed and a lighted candle. He told them, get up onto the bed. And he got up. Stretch out your hands and he stretched them out. Close your mouth and he closed it. Shut your eyes and he shut them. At that moment, Moses yearned for such a death. In other words, peaceful. Peaceful. Think about how, how often, right, a person's passing is not peaceful. Pain and suffering, God forbid, etc. This is, I mean, it's never, it's never, where no one's yearning to, to pass away or for a loved one to pass away, right? When it says that Moses yearned for such a death, it doesn't mean he wanted to die. It just means that death is the way of all people. And a death that's peaceful, surrounded by those who love, who love you, that's a special passing. That's why it was said to him, to Moses, at the end of the, of the Torah, at the end of Deuteronomy, God tells Moses, go up to Mount Nebo, and you'll pass away in the way Aaron, your brother, died. Which is a death that you desire. God ultimately tells Moses, you're going to pass away in the same way. Does that make sense? Sort of, yes? Okay. So Moses did this. 
Rashi says, although it was difficult for him, he did not hesitate. Of course it's difficult. Taking his brother up to his final resting spot. Powerfully difficult. We're not done yet with the powerful Rashi's. The whole congregation saw that Aaron had expired. What does that mean? Were they up on the mountain? What does it mean they saw? So Rashi explains, when they saw Moses and Elazar coming down, and Aaron did not come down, they said, where is Aaron? He said to them, he died. They said, is it possible that the one who stood up against the angel of death and stopped the plague can be overpowered by the angel of death? Aaron is the one who stopped the plague. Remember with the incense? Remember he was waving the incense and the, and the plague stopped and he held the angel of death? The man who stopped the angel of death, could it, is it possible that he was overpowered by the angel of death? Whereupon Moses asked for mercy and the ministering angel showed him to them lying in the bed. They saw and believed. That's what it means that the whole congregation saw. Basically a miracle happened and they got the image of Aaron deceased on the bed in the cave on top of the mountain. Next Rashi, super powerful, the entire house of Israel wept for him for 30 days. What does that mean, the entire house? Rashi says, both the men and the women. For Aaron had pursued peace. He promoted love between disputing parties and between man and wife. Aaron was the ultimate peacemaker. That's why the entire house of Israel mourned, because he wasn't a Torah teacher that only some studied under. He was a peacemaker that everybody who affected everybody's lives. Okay. Rabbi? Yeah. But I mean, doesn't the average, the average congregation member? I mean, right. So he was a nice. Aaron was a nice guy, and like, and Moses has to stay behind. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of retribution for our heroes that are trying to do good. What do you mean? What do you mean? Explain. Well, like Moses is not going into the land of Israel. Right. And he's our most revered, uh, you know, leader. Yeah. And leader, and so Aaron. I mean, he was a good person, and and now he's yeah put to death. I mean, I I'm with you. I I think what you're asking, if I if I can clarify your question, I think what you're asking is when God says Aaron shall be gathered to his people, and he's not going to come to the land. Why? Because you defied my word at the waters of dispute. That sounds very harsh. That's kind. Of, I think that's what you're asking. I don't have a good answer for that. I don't have a good answer because it does sound like, you know, we're blaming them. Right. And, and like, they messed up. That's why they're going to die here. It, sound, it does sound very harsh. These are people who gave their lives for the Jewish people. These are people, Moses, I mean, you can't say anything bad about Moses. Even hitting the rock. I mean, I didn't even, I think, oh, I did mention it parenthetically, but there's a positive spin on hitting the rock, which I mentioned, but very quickly. He hit the rock so that no one should ever be able to say the rock listens better than the Jew. He never wanted God to be able to say, the Jews don't listen, the rock listened to produce water, which is a miracle. Good but the intentions, huh? good intentions. Good intentions. Exactly. So I have the same question. And by the way, 3,000 years of, 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 of commentaries are struggling with this. The, I don't have a good answer, but one perspective is God holds the righteous to a higher standard. So even for us, there's a, I think it was the Kutzker Rebbe who once said about somebody who was very proud of their accomplishments. He said, from the sins of the generation of the desert, God made a Torah. From your mitzvot, 
God's not making any Torahs. Don't, don't. So like, you know, we, we look and we judge and we say, oh, they messed up. He hit the rock. He shouldn't have hit the rock. The spies, whatever. It's like higher level stuff. Definitely. So why then does it seem like there's a consequence? Either there's a deeper meaning or the more simple way of understanding it is, you know, and any small thing against such a brilliant backdrop stands out. It's like, and I've used this example before, you, you, you're doing a barbecue and you have a piece of coal and there's a scratch down the middle of it. Who cares? It's coal, right? Burn it up. But on a diamond, if there's a scratch in a diamond, you're not buying that diamond. You're like, no, nope, <laughs> give me a diamond that doesn't have a flaw. But the same scratch on a piece of coal is not a flaw. Why? Because a coal is a coal and a diamond is a diamond. Even though coals come from, diamonds come from coals, is that true? I think I remember that. Yeah, it's whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Probably not, actually. I don't know. Maybe it's compressed. It, it, it is. Ray is saying yes. Okay, I'm with Ray. <laughs> anyway, we'll have to look that up and do a science experiment. Crush or, or compress coal and see how rich we can get. The point is that a scratch on one thing is not like the scratch on another thing. It's all relative and relative to them. So we have to be careful as to not like judge them harshly and to recognize that they were the greatest of the great. And yet, for whatever reason, they weren't, they weren't to go further than this spot, essentially. So Miriam passes away in um, two days ago's reading, I think. And then Aaron passes away today in this reading. Moses, we still have another full book after this book. We still have another book, which takes the span of really only 37 days. So Moses still has a few months left before he will pass away at the border. Okay, um, let's continue because here conflict breaks out. So the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the south, remember that's where the Jews were, they were approaching from the south, heard that Israel had come by the route of the spies. In other words, that they were retracing the route of the spies. They were now... 40 years later, proceeding to embark on their journey toward the promised land. So what did he do? What did this Canaanite king of Arad do? He waged war against Israel and took from them a captive, one prisoner of war. You might be wondering, who are these Canaanites? Who is this Arad? Who is this person in the south? What's going on? I need to show you. Who lived in the south? Look at this. This refers to Amalek. Yeah, it wasn't, Can it wasn't Canaan, it was Amalek. As it says, the Amalekites dwell in the Southland. That's when the spies came back with the report, if you recall, from last week's, uh, two weeks ago's Torah portion, it says that Amalek, the Amalekites, dwell in the South. So why are they called the Canaanites here? Because they changed their language to speak in the language of Canaan so that the Israelites would pray to the Holy One, blessed be He, to deliver the Canaanites into their hands. And since they were not Canaanites, their prayers would have no effect. Are you with me? The Amalekites pretended to be Canaanites so that the Jews would dive in and pray to be spared from the Canaanites' hands. And meanwhile, they weren't Canaanites, they were Amalekites. But Israel saw that they were dressed like Amalekites, though they spoke in a Canaanite tongue. So they said, we will pray generally for success. <laughs> we're not going to pray about a specific people. Canaanites, Amalekites, we don't know who this enemy is. We're just praying in general for success. As it says, if you deliver this people into my hand, this people, not referencing specifically which people, but people. 
Okay, different, different versions of the Midrash have different implications, but we're not going to get into the brackets. Let's go back. I'm going, to stop. I'm going to toggle Rashi off for a moment, and let's get back inside to the story. So the Canaanite king, king of Arad, who now we, who lived in the south, who we know is really not the Canaanite king. They were pretending to be Canaanites. It was the Amalekites. Uh, waged war, because Amalek always wages war. That's their thing against the Jewish people. And they take a captive. So now Israel, the Jewish people, made a vow to the Lord and said, if you deliver this people, right, this people, general, into my hand, I shall consecrate their cities. I'm going to dedicate their cities to you, God. The Lord heard Israel's voice and delivered the Canaanites, or the Canaanite. He destroyed them and consecrated their cities, and he called the place Harma, Harma, Harma. Okay, so they were successful in that battle, in that war against Amalek. Next, they journeyed from Mount Har by the way, by way of the Red Sea to circle the land of Edom. And the people became disheartened because of the way. I need to clarify what's going on. Remember they wanted to go through Edom and the Edomites said no? Okay, so now they're journeying by way of the Red Sea to circle the land of Edom, to go around it. So what's going on? The people became dis disheartened. Why? Because they felt that they were going to go another 40 years of wandering. Remember the 40 years of wandering kind of made like a circular route? They panicked and they thought, oh no, we're, we're doing this again. Like Israel, we know Israel is due north or whatever. And meanwhile, we're going like, you know, just a, a roundabout uh, travel. And they panicked. So the people spoke against Moses and against God and against Moses. Once again, although it's the next generation, which we spoke about at length a few days ago, it's still now kind of uh, uh, a not happy conversation. Why have you brought us out of, of Egypt to die in this, in this desert? For there is no bread and no water. And we are disgusted with this rotten bread. You know what the rotten bread is? The manna from heaven. Which goes to show you that you can think of anything as a blessing or a curse. Even the greatest blessing of the manna, they're calling it rotten bread. I'm going to go back and do some Rashi's here. Don't worry. Trust me. We're going to go back. Um, but let's just keep the narrative going. The Lord sent against the people the venomous snakes. It's interesting. Why snakes? When's the first time we encounter a snake or a serpent in the Torah? Right? What did the serpent, right? What's, what's the first serpent? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And what did they do? What did the, sorry, what did the serpent do? He spoke badly. Right? About God, about the tree, or about not eating the tree. He was like all sorts of like negative talk. Right? Oh, God just doesn't want you to become like him. That's why he doesn't want you to have knowledge. God's jealous. God wants you to, God wants to have the exclusive. So snakes are for negative talk. So God sends against the people who spoke ill of God and Moses, God sends venomous snakes. And they bit the people. And many, of the, many people of Israel died. The people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. Oh, look at this, accountability. Finally, is this the first time they've done this? Possibly, maybe before, but it, it, it rings unique. That instead of doubling down and saying, look what you've done to us, they, they say we have sinned. Remember, this is the next generation. They're not perfect, but we see here they're taking accountability. 
We have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he remove the snakes from us. That's a very reasonable conversation and reasonable request from a place of contrition and regret. So Moses prayed on behalf of the people. The Lord said to Moses, make yourself a serpent and put it on a pole and let whoever is bitten look at it and live. So take a serpent and put it, not a real serpent, a, well, we'll see in a second. Take a serpent, put it on a pole and whoever gets bitten should look up at that serpent on a pole and live. That will be the healing salve. So Moses made a copper snake, not a real one, a copper snake, and put it on a pole. And whenever a snake bit a man, he would gaze upon the copper snake and live. Well, that raises a whole, all sorts of questions. What kind of, what kind of um, medication is this? What kind of snake oil, all puns intended, is this? Where you put a copper pole around the a copper snake around the pole, and then the next thing you know, it's 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 all good. You get healed. What's going on? So I'm gonna I'm gonna open up some Rashi's here. Oh, I hit the wrong button. I'm I'm known to do that on occasion. Give me a second. Not the first time that I've done that. I know. So let's let's do this. Let's let's do what I wanted to do, which is toggle Rashi. Okay, chapter 21. No, sorry, we did that. We did this. Here we go. So they journeyed by way of the Red Sea. And that's when they became disheartened. Why? Take a look at Rashi. Since Aaron had died and this war had come upon them, they turned back to the Red Sea route, which is the route they returned to after the decree or because of the sin of the spies had been issued against them. As it says, and journey into the desert by way of the Red Sea. Here they went back seven stations. As it says, the children of Israel journeyed from the wells of B'nai Yaakon to Mosera. There Aaron died. Did it, well, this is going to get technical now. All right, I'm going to read it, but I, I don't, we don't have like, we need like a map and with a chart and with all the stops to, to really understand this. I'm going to read it and then hopefully it'll make more sense more or less. Um, it says they went, uh, they journeyed from the wells of B'nai Yaakon to Mosera and there Aaron died. But did he really die in Mosera? Did he not die at Mount Har? However, there in Mosera, they again mourned for him and eulogized him as if he had died in their presence. Go and study the stations. You will find that there were seven stations between Mosera and Mount Har. So Mosera is before Mount Har. And yet it says that they mourned Aaron's death in Mosera, which means that from Mount Har, they went back seven steps to Mosera. Okay. Hopefully that makes sense on some level. Basically, they started going backwards. And that's when they became disheartened. To the circle of the land of Edom, since they did not allow them to pass through the land, they became disheartened because, Rashi says, because of the hardship of traveling, which was hard for Wait them. Wait a minute, Rabbi. Yeah. Uh, well, all right, I got lost. They were at the Red Sea, and then what? Then they go to Mount Har? Well, no, they were at Mount Har, and then they kind of circled around. I don't know if they went actually to the Red Sea, but kind of on the way toward back to the Red Sea, and they went back seven stations um, that they had previously left from. And at this point, the people became disheartened because they thought it was difficult. It was difficult and they thought they were going back, right? So let, let, take a look at what it says here, right? Because of the hardship of traveling, they said, now we were so close to entering the land and we're turning back. 
So did our fathers turn back and remain for 38 years until today. So that's, that's what it was. They basically went, started to go backwards. It wasn't really going backwards. It was really just going around. But to go around, they kind of had to retrace some footsteps. The people got disheartened. They, they, they started to panic. So therefore, they became disheartened by the hardship of traveling. Okay. Um, bah, 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 bah. Rashi then gets into the grammar, which we're going to leave on that Rashi. Let's do this. They spoke against Mo, God and Moses. They equated the servant with his master. Okay? Why have you brought us up? We are disgusted with the rotten bread. Here we go. Why did they call it rotten bread? I actually mentioned this in a Kabbalah coffee class recently. Since the manna was absorbed into their limbs and, the, and not excreted from their bowels, they called it rotten or cursed. They said this manna will eventually swell up in our stomachs. Is there any mortal who ingests but does not excrete? We're eating all this food and it's ne- nothing's coming out. They said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blow us up from the inside one day. We're going we're gonna to explode, right? Rabbi, yeah. is there any consensus on what the manna looked like? You know, it's interesting. The Torah says it looked like, it looked, uh, I don't remember the exact phrase. Um... It talks about like crystal, like crystal something and coriander seed, round like coriander seed. It is described somewhere in Torah. You could probably just look it up, Googling like uh, what the mana looked like, you know, Torah, Chabad, whatever. It has a description, but even the description to me has never been clear. Never been like, oh, that's a clear picture of what. I found it here. It says the mana was the size of a coriander seed and the color of a white rock, which commentaries explain is a fine crystal. So I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it sounds like a diamond. It sounds kind of cool. Like a round gem of food. It sounds pretty cool. Round crystal, edible crystals. It sounds great. But I get, I, it sounds shiny and, and very interesting, but it absorbed in their bodies. Now, they, they were like, this. It's, uh, one day it's just, just going to explode. Now, of course, it wasn't going to explode. And the reason why they didn't have to excrete anything was because it was the perfect food. It was perfectly designed for the body that everything of the mana was a nutrient, was a a source of of, of nutrition and nothing extra. I mean, the reason why the body produces waste that has to move past outside of the body is simply because not all parts of the food that we eat are used by the body. So that which is rejected from the body is sent out. Well, the mana was perfect food that nothing needed to be sent out. It was all absorbed. But the people couldn't relate to it, right? They were like, what is this stuff? This stuff is crazy. So venomous snakes. All right? They bit the people. Rashi says, let the snake, which was smitten for speaking evil to Eve, right? Adam and Eve, come and punish those who spread slander about the mana. Let the snake for which all types of food taste the same. Aha! Now we know that snakes, all food tastes the same to them, right? How we know that, I'm not sure, right? Snake, let the snake come and punish those ingrates for whom one thing, the mana, changed into, changed into various tastes. The mana could taste like whatever you wanted it. So let the snake, who has a very neutral taste, punish those who are complaining about the food that has all the taste in the world. 
Okay. So Moses prayed. From here we learn, says Rashi, that someone who is asked to forgive should not be so cruel as to not forgive. That's powerful. Somebody asks you for forgiveness, you should forgive. We should forgive. We learned that from Moses. The people went uh, up against, the people spoke against God and Moses. But when they come to Moses and say, pray for us, so he does it. He doesn't hold a grudge. Oh, you now you want me to pray. Oh, it's only because snakes are attacking you. You don't really mean it. He didn't do that. He just prayed for them. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, make a serpent and put it on a pole. Look at this, on a post or perch in French. I think it's perch. Perche? Porsche? I don't know. Right? Perche. Um, similarly, like a flagpole, a banner, it stands high. Okay. Whoever is bitten should look at the snake on a pole. Even if a dog or a donkey bit him, he would suffer injury instead of deteriorate, but a snake bite would kill quickly. That is why it says here, regarding other bites, we'll look at it at a mere glance. But regarding the snake bite, it says he would gaze. Whenever a snake bit a man, he would gaze. For the snake bit bite would not heal unless one gazed at the copper snake intently. A rabbi said, does a snake cause death or life? In other words, how could the snake on a pole heal? However, when Israel looked heavenward and subjected their hearts to the Father in heaven, they would be healed, but if not, they would waste away. So when they looked up at the snake on a pole and looked past the pole and the snake to God Almighty or to the heavens, they would be reminded of God. That's what would heal them, turning back to God. So Moses made a copper snake. Rashi says he was not told to make it of copper. But Moses said, The Holy One, blessed be He, called it a snake in the Hebrew, Nachash. So I will make it of copper, which is Nachoshet. In Hebrew, Nachash is snake, and Nachoshet, or Nechoshet, similar word, means copper. One term similar to the other term. So he made not just a snake, but a copper snake. Put it on a pole, and then the people became healed. And as I mentioned last year, and as I mentioned yesterday, this, became, this, this has become the logo of the American Medical Association. And if you don't believe me, AMA logo. What's the AMA logo? It is the symbol of the snake on the pole. And you look at it and you think to yourself, what is going on? Why in the world would the American Medical Association have this weird pole with literally a snake wrapped around it? What does the snake have to do with healing, with medicine? A snake, you would think, is the opposite of healing. And the answer is there's only one answer. The source is the Torah, what we just read, that the snake was a healing snake. So whenever these, whoever created the AMA or the AMA logo must have been a religious person or somebody that was studious in biblical, um, in biblical, in the biblical stories and said, oh, for creating a logo, a symbol for, the, for healing, let's go snake on a pole. Anyway, it's not something that otherwise one would have come up with. Let's put it that way, right? If you could think of a thousand images that symbolize healing, without the, to- without the story, you're not coming up with a snake and a pole. That's the last thing you're coming up with, right? So it's, uh, it's a biblical thing. All right, friends, that's the conclusion for today. We learned a lot of really important things, I think. Number one, 
Number one, we learned about, we learned about the, let me, let me rewind a little bit to get my, my, my memory fresh. Um, oh, we read about the passing of Aaron and about the power of transmitting one's legacy, right? The power of, of legacy. Aaron was lucky to be able to hand it off. Moses was not so lucky. We talked about peaceful and serene passing, surrounded by family and, and in a peaceful, painless uh, fashion. We talked about um, the idea of Aaron, who was an inspiration to the people and who, who gave so much to the people. And because of that, everyone, the men and the women, mourned him for 30 days. We don't find anyone about whom it says that the entire congregation wept for them for 30 days. We find about Moses, for example, it says the men wept for 30 days, but not, not, all, not the women. You know, the women, it's, everybody was, 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 um, felt the love for Aaron. Um, not that the women didn't love or appreciate Moses, but it just wasn't that same type of, I guess, um, the same type of sentiment. We heard about the sneaky war of, 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 the, of the Amalekites, pretend to be Canaanites. We spoke about the people becoming disheartened by the journey, by going back in the journey a little bit on the way around Edom and their complaints and the plague that breaks out with the snakes and the, the, the apology and the forgiveness of Moses. We learned about the power of forgiveness and the need to forgive. Um, we spoke about really sincere apologies, sincere apologies and then forgiveness. That's a good model. And then of course we spoke about the copper snake. What's the moral of the story? Healing comes from God. The snake though, can be a reminder somehow, at least when it's on a pole and you have to look up. All right, that is it. And the Rebbe would speak very often in his, in his letters to patients and doctors, always remember where healing comes from. It's not the doctor that gives life or takes life. It's not the doctor that heals. The doctor facilitates healing, but healing comes from Hashem, which is why the Rebbe would always advocate when a person wasn't feeling well to not only undergo a physical regimen, whatever that is, whether it's medicine or whatever, whatever the physical part is, but to simultaneously amp up a person's spiritual activities, understanding that healing is a holistic experience that pertains to not just body, but also soul and mind and heart, etc. All right, thank you for joining me today. Any questions? Yeah, Donna. So, the Rebbe, when did he become... Yeah, when did he go from revered rabbi to rebbe, and is there any process for that? Great question. That happened in 1951, exactly one year after his father-in-law passed away on the yard site, on the first yard site of the previous rebbe. So for that full year, since the previous rebbe passed away in 1950, the winter of 1950, people turned to the rebbe and said, will you be the next rebbe? Will you, you know, officially take? And he said, no, 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 no. He refused for a full year. And there was, it was like, there was a lot of strong, you know, encouragement and you can't leave us without a Rebbe. Like we need some guy, we need someone to guide. It's, it's a generation left without a leader as a spiritual leader is not, you know, not sustainable, everything. And eventually he, he called the Fabrengen on the yard site and people sensed might, might be something happening, but they didn't know. But when the Rebbe said his first official discourse, not a talk, 
There's a sicha, a talk, an informal talk, and then there's a mimer, a Hasidic discourse. Like we study those on Sunday mornings, Kabbalah and coffee. It's not, a, it's not an informal talk. I say informal, formal. I don't know if it works in English. There's like more casual talk, like just, uh, you know, an, an address. And then there's a formal address, which is preceded by a special tune, which is recited in a special uh, tone of voice. And it's like, this is like, you know, a special moment. You don't recite a mimer. Only a Rebbe says a mimer, a Hasidic discourse. So when they, started the, when they started the tune and the Rebbe said the discourse, that was like, that was the official moment of, okay, this is it, it's happening. So that's when it happened. So what's the process? Well, people were asking, I would say even begging, if you will. I mean, not, not, to, not in a negative way, but like really asking, you know, passionately. And the Rebbe ultimately conceded. But you should know this, fascinating. Throughout the years, literally throughout the years, the Rebbe always referred to his father-in-law as the Rebbe. He said, as the Rebbe, my father-in-law says, he would always quote him in like present tense and like as he's the Rebbe. Like, I'm just, you know, you wanted someone to stand in. In the meantime, fine. Very like never about him. It was never about him. The Rebbe was his Rebbe. Like, he was just, now, of course, for us, <laughs> our Rebbe is our Rebbe. Anyway, there's a, this could be a fabrengen. This could be a long conversation and, you know, a Hasidic conversation. But I hope I'm giving you at least, at least the, 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 the Cliff Notes version of it. Anyway, very special thing. Very special thing. Um, yeah, as we heard from my brother-in-law on, on Gimel Tammuz, like the Hasidim love the Rebbe. The Rebbe loves the Hasidim. I mean, I, anyway, there's... All right, there's a lot of stories, but, but stories, stories will uh, have been told and we will tell, but we'll close it out for right now. Thank you for joining me today for DPP. We're back on tomorrow for Daily Power Parsha. I do want to mention something on a personal note. Um, we are having, my family, uh, we, we've arranged a memorial event on Zoom for my grandfather who passed away a little bit ago, as you guys know. We're doing a Zoom memorial event this Sunday at 5.30. So we have the event at 7, Escape from Cairo, which is an IJA event. But this is a personal, I want to say personal, I mean, it's a family event honoring my grandfather's memory, but it would be certainly um, beautiful and uh, you know, very special to have the local family, the Atlanta family join as well. So I will send... Day? I mean, what, what's special? Well, it's supposed to, so you're supposed to do, I mean, the tradition is to do something on the Shloshim on the 30 days. The challenge is on, the, on day 30, there was just the, for technical reasons, we couldn't do it. And then we were trying to coordinate because I'm coordinating also with the rabbi in Pittsburgh, you know, the rabbi from the synagogue there. So it was just a little bit of coordination to, to set a date. So ultimately the date that we settled on is. It's the 30 day marking. Yeah, but it's not the 30 days, but it's kind of that type of. It's, it's in the spirit of, exactly, it's in the spirit of the 30 days, um, the Shloshim. So we'll, we'll, we'll conclude Mishnayos. We'll, uh, we'll um, hear some words from, you know, family and, and people that knew him. And that's it. So if you'd like to join, um, I'll be sending out, I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it, to send out this information. But I'm going to send it out, certainly to like the DPP folks and the Torah. You know, I'll send it out to 
the, uh, the inner group, so to speak, right? Um, the family, the Atlanta family. And yeah, if you can join, if you'd like to join, it's, uh, on Zoom, right? it'll be on Zoom. Yeah, it'll be on yeah. Zoom. You just log Thank in. You. Sure, for yeah, sure. And your, and your friend Rabbi Katz is putting together some uh, video. Yeah, yeah. I have to touch base with him, see if it's, uh, if it's still in the works. It's, I haven't spoken to him for, for a few weeks. I'll check in with him. But we have, um, I have some other video that we might be able to show as well. But anyway, we're, we're putting it all together. Okay. All right. Well, good to see everybody. And have a wonderful day. And uh, no class tonight. We haven't yet set another Thursday night class. But we will. It's going to happen. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for more information. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Pleasure. See you guys.